89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton and my guest this Mother's Day. And we're going to be looking at uh, mothers and uh, our you know, kids in a whole different way. And I'm so pleased to have Rebecca Challoner with me. She is the founder of My Spirited Child. G'day, Rebecca. Hello. It's lovely having you in. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you for uh, inviting me down here. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, now, we're going to talk about a whole lot of different things. But first of all, for somebody who doesn't know what My Spirited Child is, can you explain what that is? Yeah, um, so My Spirited Child was set up about eight years ago um, as a parent of neurodivergent children. I, I was quite fed up of the lack of information and support out there. And so I decided to um, create it myself. And so it essentially started as just a blog and then developed. And now we just we do lots of conferences and webinars and resources, all with the aim of sort of providing information to um, parents who have children with different uh, disabilities and a variety of needs. Yeah. Now, um, our family has uh, a number of children in it with neurodivergent understandings and ways of working in their life, but many might not even know what that phrase means. What's the definition that you use for it? Yeah, so um, essentially, we hear the term neurodiversity a lot, and what that means is that all brains... Neurodiverse is all brains. All brains are different. They're all diverse. Neurodivergent means that it's different from the standard. It's different from the typical. So uh, um, someone who's autistic, someone who's ADHD, dyslexic, Tourette's, um, sensory processing disorder, those sorts of things, they would be neurodivergent because their brain just thinks slightly differently. Yeah. And that is one of the, the key ways I think that we, um, I think with the use of that word, has helped as well, right? Often we've looked at, um, maybe we've used a word that has said, oh, um, they're lacking in something, but it is just different. There is a real key understanding in that, isn't there? Yeah, so um, it, it's changing that um, that way of thinking away from the stigma of th their brains aren't less. Their brains are just, they just work slightly differently and they have slightly different strengths and slightly different challenges. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now let's talk if we can about your family because um, you have had quite an, an uh, understanding and an, a sort of a revelations along the way of different parts of your family who are also neurodivergent. Could you just share a bit of that story? Yeah, so my eldest son, Lachlan, he was diagnosed ADHD and he also has an intellectual disability a long time ago. He's 17 now and he would have been diagnosed when he was about seven or eight. And then after he was diagnosed, then I got diagnosed ADHD. I got diagnosed dyslexic a, a long, long time ago when I was at university. Um, and then my younger son got diagnosed as well. Um, and and I'm, my husband is also ADHD, so I'm married. So we're just a full ADHD household. Yeah. Everybody's ADHD, including the dog. Well, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I want to talk about what does that mean in a family in just a moment. So I'll come back to that question. But first, uh, the the different revelations. What did it mean, I suppose, as a, a mum for you to go, oh, this helps me as being a mum, as opposed to for yourself, uh, you know, a, as a mum, understanding this uh, diagnosis of ADHD for you. Can you just, I suppose, explain what each of those revelations meant? Yeah, so it's it's tricky as a as a mom. There's a, there's a an advantage and a disadvantage of also of the fact that I'm ADHD myself. The disadvantage is that it means sometimes we clash because we have the same challenges. So um, emotional uh, dysregulation is one of the ADHD challenges that can happen. Now I get quite dysregulated, and so do my kids. So that can create a bit of a clash at times and make things a little bit more difficult 
than they might normally be. But the advantage is it means I can actually really, really get it. Like I really understand what they're feeling when they're feeling it. And, you know, anyone can read a book and learn, but to truly get what it feels like, you've got to experience it yourself. So, so it, yeah, it's definitely created that um, feeling. Yeah, love that. And in terms of your family it, dynamics in that regard, so knowing that and then saying, okay, what do we do? What are some of the strengths of your family that you go, well, we've, we all have this understanding and it's very similar. And what are some of the, the more challenges that you have because of a family who are quite similar in their neurodivergence? Um, so I think the strength, the biggest strength for me is, um, is it kind of like what I was saying with the understanding of what they're going through, but it means that we're all really supportive of each other mm. and of each other's experiences. For example, if my, let's say my youngest son is having, um, a bit of a meltdown, he's really dysregulated and he's getting angry with that, which is very common for a lot of ADHD kids. If I didn't get it, if I, you know, if I was neurotypical and I didn't understand what he was going through, I might just think he was being rude or I might just think he was purposely just being disrespectful and I might try and discipline him because I understand that he's just really dysregulated and he's in fight or flight and he's not, he's not purposely trying to be disrespectful. He just needs some support. It means that we're able, and, and we all have that, so we're all able to just be a little bit more yeah. understanding and supportive of each other. That being said, um, there's definitely times when it's really tricky, especially with me and my husband. Luckily, um, I get the I have the angry, slightly dysregulated side. He doesn't, <laughs> yes. which is which is really good. But we both get really uh, sensitive to rejection and criticism. So that can be interesting in an argument because we yes. both will never admit we're wrong. Um, <laughs> and we both really have to win at everything, which is also another ADHD trait. Um, so there's a few there's a few ways in which we clash and, and that yeah. can be a bit messy sometimes and yeah. chaotic. Yeah. Um, some of the things that I've noticed as, I, as a, I've been having a chat with other friends as well and, and who have got kids who have neurodivergence is this idea of, um, sometimes it looks like we're treating our kids differently, right? Uh, one of the classic examples we were chatting just the other day is that uh, a child who had ADHD and, and was just heading off to school fixated on having a chocolate. Um, and the other people around were like, well, you can't do that. You can't let the kids have a chocolate. And eventually it was like the best way to deal with this is let them have a chocolate and then we'll talk about it later, about why we don't do that and those sorts of things. It, it does feel opposite to a lot of parenting at times. Is that something that people reflect to you as well? Yeah, 100%. Um, one of the things with ADHD is specifically, and a lot of neurodivergent kids um, on the whole, is that they need a different approach. So for example, um, you might think of something like consistency as really important in how you sort of discipline a child. If you're consistent with someone who's neurodivergent, that could be the worst thing you can possibly do because they need flexibility because some days they have more capacity than they do other days. Their their brain is not consistent. It's it's inflexible. Uh, it's flexible. So we need to be flexible. So with like the chocolate, some days you might be able to say, no, actually you're not having a chocolate and that might be okay. But another day, because they might not have had enough sleep or they might not have had their medication or they could have be um, really dysregulated for some other reason and and then they don't have the capacity to to just handle that that situation and they just 
they get fixated on that they need that thing and in those situations it's better to go do you know what i don't it's not good for them to have a meltdown right now and that's going to do more harm than giving them the chocolate and then working through that at a later date so and that was the exact discussion that we were having right as parents we were having this discussion but for others that feels really weird like it, it feels like bad parenting um, it feels like not helping that child. <laughs> it feels like setting them up for failure. And I think that's something that we, we're needing to understand more. Is there ways that um, I suppose general public can understand this more? Because I think perhaps maybe naturally still people think ADHD and they mean, oh, they're just running around bouncing off the walls and just let them go to it. And as long as I steer clear, that's probably the best thing to do. Um, doesn't seem like the best thing to do, but, but that is perhaps still a a natural prevailing thought that people have. Yeah, I mean, so one of the biggest problems that I hear from parents all the time, um, above all of the challenges that they may struggle with with their kids, their biggest thing is stigma. The stigma they experience from the community, from their families, from their friends, and that's really hard to deal with because as a parent of a child with ADHD, especially one who struggles with emotional dysregulation, Every parent in that situation has gone through the, the point where they've tried to discipline it out of their child. Yes. They've tried to just get stricter, just get firmer, just say no more often, just be more consistent. They've tried all these things and they've realized along the way that it doesn't work. And they tried going up and up and up and the child just got more and more dysregulated. And eventually they realized I've actually, I've actually got to take a different approach. The problem is that that approach to the outside world who hasn't lived it and hasn't experienced it often seems like they're just letting them get away with stuff. And then, of course, the outside world goes, well, they haven't got ADHD. They're just naughty because the parents let them get away with things. Not realizing that the parent's approach is a response to the child's needs. And, and, And actually, it's the correct approach because that traditional form of parenting is really not beneficial to an ADHD. They need a different approach. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and and I mean, that is mind space bending, right? Because we've spent decades of parenting books, especially, you know, you look back the last 30, 40, 50 years of parenting stuff. It, it's very much in a similar line, right? And so this is, this is a, a newer area of understanding, I think, from a general public sphere around uh, how and, and where we do that. From your perspective, how do you think um, we ever get to that space? From a public understanding how do we get to a space with without you know everyone walking around with a badge that says i have adhd like how do we actually get that understanding and go oh okay i can help support you in that or whatever it might be um i think slowly i think it, yeah. a lot of it is time um and and it is progressing i mean i do all the adhd conferences around the country and and every year we get more and more attendees and and it spreads that way so that information slowly gets out there and it gets to more parents and more teachers and more families and more friends but it's it's I mean, now if people go out and read books like The Explosive Child by Dr. Ross Green and Beyond Behaviours by Dr. Mona Dallahawk, these are amazing books that really help people to understand that. The problem is the people who are reading those books, they're already in it and they're dealing with it. It needs to be the other people who aren't so that they can see what their friends might be dealing with and their family members might be dealing with. And the other thing, which actually is just really important, is that we just, as a society, stop being so judgmental. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So tough to do as a society to change that, though, isn't it? Yeah. We're going to be back with uh, Rebecca Chaloner in just a couple of moments' time. She's the um, 
founder of My Spirited Child. On this Mother's Day, we're going to talk a bit more about her as a mother. What does she celebrate uh, on these days, especially through the work that she does? And what would she love mums to be celebrating uh, and uh, also families around mums uh, this year? We're going to talk about uh, some of the other aspects of neurodivergent as well in just a couple of minutes' time here on 89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton. Rebecca Chellner is my guest. Uh, she's the founder of My Spirited Child, but also heads up the National Peak Centre. Now, what, what's that? Better explain that for everybody too. Um, yeah, so the National Peak Centre is a multidisciplinary therapy centre. So we have occupational therapists and speech therapists and art therapists and psychologists and all that sort of thing. Um, and I set it up along with my um, the co-founder, who's Christina Keeble, because we both live in that neurodivergent space and as parents as moms we were so sick of taking our kids places and feeling like they were trying to fix our child Mm. and walking out feeling really miserable about how everything that was wrong with our child and we wanted to create somewhere where people walk in and we say to the kids you're perfect we don't want to change anything about you we can help you with your challenges but you are perfect that's great I love that. What what a great thing to be saying to our kids as we go through. I love it. Now, we've talked a lot about ADHD uh, in our first sort of conversation a couple of minutes ago. There's other aspects of being neurodivergent for other people as well. Um, I know that dyslexia is uh, a huge part of our family's experience, um, and there are others as well. Um, Are these being talked about as much as ADHD, and and are there specific areas we think, you know, as a general public, we need to speak more about? I think we need to speak more about neurodivergence across the board. There is so much misunderstanding on a whole and there's so much um, sort of it's everything so deficit based. It's all about fixing and curing and changing. And and we really shouldn't do that. We really need to say, do you know what? Our kids are adults. They're all great. Um, You know, it's no different to going to the doctors and having them help you with the cut. It's just the helping with things. Um, But... um, Dyslexia and all, all the learning difficulties, there, there's there's n- very little awareness there. Autism gets a little bit of attention, um, but still, again, you know, the understanding is, is not there. Uh, and then there's other things like, you know, Tourette's and um, things like processing disorders and um, things like that where they get almost no attention. So yeah. there's really... And um, my eldest son, who has a moderate intellectual disability, that that gets practically nothing yeah you know yeah yeah why do you think that is i think i think it's just a time thing i think where we're at in terms of our you know evolution as a species sort of thing i think we just haven't got there to that level of understanding people's differences and people also you know we as 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 human beings we like things that are the same we don't like things that are different and uh so so we're not always that accepting of trying to learn about things that are different yes yeah yeah it's interesting because i know one of the the more common refrains in our house now and i think it's uh, appropriate to everybody who has um a a, a neurodivergence is this idea that you know in the middle of school you know they're often struggling as they go and we, we you know, it's not going to be good on radio because it's a visual thing, but uh, we talk about, and if you imagine, I'm putting my hands quite close together and saying, like, you know, school, you know, checks and sort of teaches and assesses this part of it. But if you put your hands really, really wide apart, this is life, right? And, and this is actually part of it. There's huge other parts of life that you are incredibly 
top of everything in. And yet there's some fundamentals we need to go through school. And it's a challenge for some of those things, but it's not all of what life is. Um, it's just a, a small part of where it is. And I think that, you know, that, that theory for me is something really, really important that often as a society, we tend to box people into certain things and say, this is what is right. Um, and there can be a little bit of change around there, but if it's out of the box from that, we start going, whoa, how does this fit in? You're different rather than, um, you know, or you're, you're wrong or whatever it might be, rather than you're just perhaps not the same as others are. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think there's definitely, um, especially with school, it's, it's, it, kids are expected to sort of fit into this little box. Yeah. And when they don't fit into this little box, you know, in some cases, they kind of get left behind. And I never fit into that box. So I walked out of school with no qualifications at all. I never won an award. I never, I never achieved anything at school, ever. Um, and I left school at 16. Well, by the age of 27, I went back to college and then I got, I have a law degree, I have seven diplomas and two companies. So I don't think <laughs> failing school and walking out at age 16 didn't, you know, it didn't ruin my life. Yep. But if you spoke to any of my teachers now, yeah. they would sort of, you know, and if you told them that I'd actually done okay, they'd be probably really shocked because yep. I was always sat at the back in the, you know, yep. lowest groups. And yep. I think my teachers just thought I wasn't very bright. Well, yeah, and I think that is part of what happens. And I think it's also that an aspect of that, and, and some schools are getting better at it, right? But that it's this aspect of um, this is what the shape of the box is. And so if you're not fitting it, we have to help you fit it rather than actually what's your shape that we yeah. need to, to learn and, and grow in as we go. Um, it's Mother's Day, so you know here you are giving some of your time, as we we are, and we we appreciate that. What would your perspective be, especially to um, mums who have kids who are neurodivergent? What would be your message to them, I suppose, as they celebrate being a mum? Uh, because you know there, there's certainly challenges that come and there's frustrations that can come along the way as we learn and understand and grow. But what would be your message today to them? So my message would be, you know, the same as the message I wish my mum had had, which is. Don't like, don't get too hung up on how hard it can be now, because when, and especially if you've got ADHD kids, some of them are really tricky. You know, I was really tricky. My kids can be really tricky. Sometimes it can be really, really difficult. And especially when they're dysregulated and they're struggling and you think, oh, you know, what's going to happen to them? And you spend so much time worrying. But the fact is, most of the many of the most successful people in the world are ADHD. Mm. Many of them, um, you know, there's Richard Branson is ADHD, and Michael Phelps, the Olympic athlete, is ADHD, and there's there's tons of really successful people. And at the end of the day, you know, all they need is a bit of positivity, a bit of nurturing, letting them know that their brain is great and they are awesome and they are wonderful. And you know, and with us with that support they'll end up okay. It's just as a mom, it can be hard, you know, when you're dealing with the, you know, the, the behaviors as when they're mm. young. But, but it's just, I think all the moms, uh, you know, and the dads, just to remember that they, they will be okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's a real gift, right? Like to go, oh, you know what? I'm just going to stop worrying a bit more. Like what a gift to any parent, right? To actually be, that's okay. Uh, and you can you can just relax a little bit more because uh, there is so much work that happens for any parent as we go. But to have that uh, is a real real blessing as well. Um, from your perspective, as we you know we, we we've touched on a, a few things as well. But um, going forward in your work, um, I'm really fascinated to see what what are you hoping to achieve as we go into 
you know, next year and five years from now and, and seeing from the work that you are doing with maybe people who are neurodivergent or the families or the general public, what's your hope from your, your work? I just want to keep um, getting the knowledge out there. Yep. Um, neurodivergence as a whole, ADHD particularly, have such misunderstandings. There is so many misconceptions and so much stigma. My biggest goal in life is to get rid of some of those misconceptions and to reduce that stigma so that so that parents don't keep coming to me saying their biggest challenge is stigma. If you've got a child who's neurodivergent who needs help in certain areas, your biggest challenge should not be people outside the house who are giving you that stigma. Yep. And so the fact that it is, that's that's everything to me. I gotta work towards a point where that's not their biggest challenge and you know and they can focus on their own life and getting through that not focused on you know other people trying to pull them down yeah yeah i love that that's excellent um the last question for me would be if somebody's wanting to go okay um i want to i've heard from rebecca i need to be a bit more educated i need to understand more i need to try and uh, be a part of this world and be that change that rebecca's talking about are there places, are there best websites people should go to to understand, to learn? What's the, the best sort of resources? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, the first thing I'm going to do is say come to one of my conferences because the, the, we do all the big ADHD conferences, yeah. the statewide ones around the country, and they're really good. Yeah. Really, we, we have phenomenal speakers at those. And we do webinars and things, so keep an eye on the My Spirited Child website because yeah. there's loads of stuff. And also read read books there are some great anything by dr ross green um or mona della hawk brilliant they've got some really good books out um then people like um dan siegel uh, the, in the states he's got some really interesting books as well so start reading on um on things just the only thing i would say is whatever you're reading just make sure it comes from the approach of being affirming it's yeah. you know a positive approach not something that's really um or you need to, you know, discipline your child more and, you know, because that's just not going to work. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, wonderful. Um, happy Mother's Day to you, Rebecca. Thank you again for your time and thanks for spending a bit with, with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. My guest is the founder of My Spirited Child and heads up uh, the, now, my, oh, I've forgotten, My Peak? No. National, National Peak Centre. <laughs> See, I, this, I, I, folks, I, I, it was the one bit that I hadn't written down and uh, I tried to do it off memory. I'm very sorry, Rebecca. Thank you, Rebecca Challoner, here on 89.9 The Light.